0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cody's Car Conundrum. I'm your host, Cody Wagner. No duh, right? Here we discuss everything from car news, culture, movies, stories, games, interviews, events, and so much more. Without further delay, on with the show. Hey, hey, everyone, and welcome to this new car special. We had a recent, a very recent reveal, actually. What was it? two days ago apparently two days ago I thought it was yesterday for some reason but yes we had a recent reveal two days ago of a long-awaited Alfa Romeo CUV I am of course talking about the all-new 2023 Alfa Romeo Tonal let's get into it the new Tonal lands with hybrid tech NFT tech God forbid and the promise of US sales Alfa Romeo has finally taken the wraps off the production version of 2019's Tonal concept and not a moment too soon There's a huge weight of expectation resting on this small crossover's shoulders. The sporty European arm of the sprawling Stellantis Empire is in dire straits. While sales held fairly steady in the US in 2021, they did did so at a pitiful 18,000 units, although apparently that's still more than Jag. Alpha managed 26,000 units in Europe, but that was way down by close to 30% on 2020's numbers and around one-eighth of what it was moving 20 years ago. All right, so we got some quick facts about the car, actually. What is the Alfa Romeo Tonal? It's Alfa Romeo's first compact SUV that rivals the Audi Q3, BMW X1, and Mercedes GLA. What power chains will be available on the Tonal? The range includes two conventional hybrids, a plug-in hybrid, plus regular ICE engines, all paired to automatics in both front-wheel drive and all-wheel drive configurations. How big How big is it? They, <laughs> on the Carscoops article, they mistyped it. They said, how big it is. That's, <laughs> that's an embarrassing mistake. The Tonal measures 178.4 inches, 4,530 millimeters long, 63.0 inches, or 1,600 millimeters tall, and 72.4 inches, or 1,840 millimeters wide, with a 103.8 inch, or 2,638 millimeter wheelbase. When will the Tonal go on sale? It will land in most European dealerships in the summer of 2022, with the UK to follow in September of the same year, and the USA in Q1 of 2023. How much will it cost? While pricing will be announced at a later stage, we expect the Tonal to be priced in the USA somewhere in the mid to high $30,000 range. The good news is that the small SUV segment is booming and the Tonal recipe is bang up to date and includes three hybrid options, making making this Alpha's first ever electrified car. It also promises a much better quality interior than found in other more expensive models in the range, and Alpha says it has employed several methods to ensure strong residual fit... Strong residual values, I thought it was going to say sales, including using NFT technology. Why, why, and why? Intrigued? No, more like disappointed. Read on to find out more about Alpha's make-or-break compact SUV. Toned down for production, and they're right, but we'll talk about the looks a little bit later. Well, I will give my personal opinion on the looks a little bit later. Compared with the 2019 Tonal Concept top picture, the 2022 production car lower image looks slightly less aggressive due to its blockier front and rear rear lights, which do at least still still ape the iconic Zagato's SZs. What is that sentence? I can't understand. Basically, they draw some level of inspiration from the Zagato SZ. It also has bigger door mirrors and conventional door handles in place of the show car's flush fit jobs. Oh wow, I didn't even notice that. That's kind of a, that's a little bit of a shame. The rear overhang also looks awkwardly longer, but in every other respect, what you see here is pretty much what we were promised three years ago, at least as far as the exterior is concerned. And those changes to the headlight apertures won't come as a surprise to anyone who remembers the leaked images of the production car that surfaced online in late 2019. If you're not convinced the stock 18-inch wheels are going to adequately fit those voluptuous arches, 19s and 20s are... Are only an option tick away. Underneath the skin is an evolution of the older, of an older FCA platform seen on cars like the Jeep Compass, but with a wider track and greater use of aluminum and modifications made to suit the new hybrid drivetrains that we'll get into later. The tonal is 1.8 inches or 46 millimeters longer and 0.8 inches or 16 millimeters further from the sun. Basically, I think it's 0.6 inches or 16 millimeters lower than rival. Audi's Q3, Alpha also, also claim also claims. I think I got that wrong. Alpha also claims the 13.6 to one steering ratio is the quickest in the class, and says the fixed four-pot Brembo brake calipers, frequency selective damping, s no FSD, standard fit Coney shocks. That's cool. And optional adaptive versions means it's more fun to hustle than your average small SUV. Exactly what I expect from Alfa Romeo. There's no mechanical limited slip differential, but you do get a brake-based version to help battle understeer at high speed and traction problems on low MU surfaces. What does that mean? No fact highlights how out of step Alpha has been with automotive trends and customer needs than the fact that it has no hybrid option in its current lineup. That changes with the introduction of the Tonal, which features not one, but two conventional hybrid variants, a FEV plus conventional ICE engines, which of those you've which of those you're offered depends largely on where in the world you're living, but the hybrid, the hybrids are a linchpin in every market. The two regular hybrids both consist of 1.5-liter four-cylinder gas motors made into 48-volt, 15-kilowatt electric motors. The entire package driving the front wheels alone through a seven-speed dual-clutch transmission. The base model makes 128 horsepower, 130 PS, on gas before its 20 horsepower or 21 PS shot of electricity is added. But the more expensive version gets a VGT, a variable geometry turbo blower that lifts ICE output to 158 horsepower or 160 PS and gets the same hybrid boost on top. Both models will let you start off cruise and park using purely electric power, alpha promising economy equivalent to a diesel engine, which a few European markets will still get. But if you prefer your hybrid to come with a plug, or you want your tonal to come with all-wheel drive, you'll want to step up to step up to the Q4, which Alpha claims is built with the U.S. and Middle East markets in mind rather than Europe. The Q4 uh, FEV actually runs a smaller ICE engine than the other hybrids up front, swapping out the 1.5 for a 1.3 liter multi-air that drives the front axle, while the rear end is pushed along by a dedicated electric motor. The powertrain is based on the, on the package revealed in, t- in 2020 on the Jeep Compass 4xe in Europe, but instead of a total system output of 237 horsepower or 240 PS, it delivers 272 horsepower, or 275 PS. And instead of the 7.5 seconds the Compass 4xe needs to reach 62 miles per hour, the Q4 can do the job in 6.2 seconds, a full 1.3 seconds faster. Alpha is, however, keeping quiet about how quick the other variants are. You also get a 15.5 kilowatt hour battery in the Q4 versus 11.4 kilowatt hour in the Compass. That delivers up to, so hold on, you get a 15.5 kilowatt hour battery in the Q4 versus 11.4 kilowatt hour in the Compass. Okay, so a kilowatt hour increase, a significant actually, a 4.1 kilowatt hour increase in the Q4 versus the Compass. That delivers up to 50 miles or 80 kilometers of electric driving on the city cycle and 37 miles or 60 kilometers combined, says Alpha. If true, those figures will make the Tonal Fev even more useful than Ford's unusually long legged Kuga Fev. For North America, aside from the 272-horsepower Fav Q4 all-wheel drive, Alfa Romeo will offer the Tonal Q4 all-wheel drive with a conventional 2-liter turbocharged 4-cylinder engine delivering 256 horsepower, that is very nice, and 295 pound-feet of torque paired to a 9-speed automatic transmission driving all four wheels. Select European markets, including Italy, will be offered a 1.6-liter turbo diesel producing 128 horsepower. I personally don't feel like that's quite enough. Alpha also made a brief reference to a non-hybrid car design for the U.S., but gave no details. However, don't get your hopes that it's some kind of GTAM lightweight. Alpha claims that, technically, yes, it could build a hot hatch version, but also says that this segment is more rational, so no decision has been made. Engineers also say that although the platform was originally conceived for ICE cars, it could be used to build a full EV tonal in the future, and that's also certainly a bigger priority. But CEO Jean Philippe Imperato, hopefully I got that right, has previously confirmed that the first electric Alpha will debut in 2024, and that the company is considering quadrifoglio EV variants. That's very sad. Sadly, Alpha decided against offering a manual tonal, a spokesperson suggesting that the decision to position it as a premium product meant ditching a three-pedal option. But the long supercar-like aluminum shift paddles really set, set off an interior that judged on these... What? But the long supercar-like aluminum shift paddles... Really set of an interior. What? That judged on these images stands head and shoulders above anything we've seen previously on an alpha production car. Okay, so it's better than most other alphas, gotcha. Again, we had a sneak peek at the cabin when the exterior shots were leaked a couple of years ago, but these first official images reveal the configurable TFT instrument display and new Amazon Alexa equipped tablet infotainment system in more detail. The 12.5 inch gauge gauge pack still sits under Alpha's trademark. 1960-style double cow, love that. And one of its three selectable layouts even features a retro typeface for, for speed and revs, while the 10.25-inch main touchscreen allows you to customize the position of its widgets. At the base of the console, but mounted at an angle rather than flat, as on the Stelvio Julia, is the familiar d driving mode selector, which can be used to change the character of the steering, throttle, and adaptive dampers if fitted but now, of course, also modifies the behavior of the electric portion of the powertrain on hybrid models. Alpha is keeping things as simple as possible for prospective buyers and offering the tonal in just super and sportier-looking TI trims. We don't know—we don't yet know the equipment each one will offer, which will vary from market to market anyway, but we do know that each of those trims can be optioned with its own unique upgrade package. Super variants can be modded with a sprint pack, and TI buyers can upgrade to Veloce, or Velos. Bragging about best in class driving dynamics is all very well, but all I knows it's the purchase and ownership experience that it needs to nail to persuade people out of Audis, Benzes and BMWs. So it's extended the main vehicle warranty to 5 years and covers the batteries on hybrid models for 8 years or 150,000 miles or not, or 150,000 kilometers. sorry, and 93,000 miles. And to try to improve residual values, it's promising that buyers looking for a used car will get the same experience and warranty cover as those buying one new. That is very good. But wait, there's more. Alpha has also dreamed up a bizarre video check system to improve transparency when additional repairs are needed, be- are needed behind what had originally been agreed. It requires technicians to work according to a mobile app's instructions and to deliver a video to the customer outlining the reason for the additional work. That's very good. That's very... Similar to what, at least in the States, anyway, VW does, right? Or at the very least, uh, Tynan's does, actually, uh, here in Colorado. And if that's not strange enough, Alpha is claiming... That's not strange, that's good. Alpha is claiming an automotive first with the inclusion of non-fungible token NFT technology. where the customers consent, the NFT will record data about the car that can be used later to solidify residual values by proving the car was properly maintained. Okay, I kind of like that, but why is it an NFT? Do you think the Tonal offers enough to finally change Alpha Romeo's fortunes? Leave a comment below and let us know. In the article, of course. Let's swap over to a Rodent Track article that delves a little bit more into this NFT service records recording because that's basically what it is. The Tonal's most unique feature is the way it records service records. Alpha Romeo claims that the Tonal is the first car directly tied to a non fungible, so weird, token. This NFT records all services performed by any shop or dealer that has access to the tool onto a blockchain record, which they say will increase value on the used car market by providing concrete proof of reliable maintenance. It is unclear how this product being on the blockchain is any more secure than a traditional maintenance record already tied to any car's individual VIN by a dealer, but it but it sure is on the blockchain. Yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of weird. This being a Solanta's product, the Tornal comes equipped with their Uconnect 5 infotainment system. That adds Apple CarPlay, Android Auto, and Amazon Alexa integration. Adaptive cruise who- Oh yeah, that's it. Adaptive cruise control, lane assist, and a traffic jam assist provide some level two autonomous driving features without, in the words of Alfa Romeo, interfering with the driving experience with the driver experience where control and emotion remain intact. I'm like it, so I don't really care about the NFT. So it's not a normal, crappy NFT thing, it's actually kind of interesting. Yeah, honestly, I'm liking it. I'm liking it so far. But let's see if there's one more article we can dive into. Because I've got one from Mopar Insiders that might give us just a little bit more information on the new Tonal. So in the Mopar Insiders article, they go a little bit more in depth about the design of the new Tonal. So let's read. The Tonal places itself in one of the most competitive global segments. The design team used a number of classic designs of Alfa Romeo's from the past, like the character line or GT line that runs from the rear to the headlights, recalling the forms of the 1960s, Julia GT Jr., and alternating with the full and elegant volumes reminiscent of iconic models such as the 8C Competizione. That's cool. The front features the imitable Trioblo and the distinctive Alfa Romeo Scudetto shield, which acts as a center focal point. The Trioblo inspired 3 plus 3 headlight design with a new full LED evokes the proud look of the SZ Zagato or the Proteo concept car, or more recently and more familiarly for some people, the 159. Now, if you remember with the 159 that car had three singular headlight pods grouped together, grouped together to make an entire headlight. Not in one unit, but as three. So you had the you had the far left, the middle, and then the right one, which was closest to the grill. So this car's headlight unit is a little bit different because instead of it being singular pods, where each headlight element is kind of its own thing, it's one massive unit. Sort of like if you've ever seen a Challenger without the front fascia, and so. It's, If you've ever seen a challenger with the front fascia the actual headlight unit is one massive unit they just use the fascia to split up each individual element so it looks like it's an individual element like on the old challenger but it isn't this is a very similar design except there's no fascia making it look separate they basically took a three and then turned it 90 degrees to the left that's what they did so instead of like again with the 159 each headlight element had its own pod so it was separate from from each other element this headlight, the headlight element on the tonal is one unit. It's all a part of one massive, of one massive, ooh, what, w- what would you say, part, if you will, okay? And then they took a three, turned it horizontal, or turned it 90 degrees to the left, and then used, and then made that the DRL so that it still looks like pods. So it's, a, it's, it's very much a modern version, if you ask me anyway, it's very much a modern version of the 159 design. And it looks brilliant. Honestly, I kind of wish these headlights would, go, would make their way to the Julia anyway, though I digress. Developed in, condu- in conjunction with Morelli, the three modules make up a unique front line for the car and simultaneously provide daylight, dynamic turn lights, and a welcome and, com- and goodbye feature activated every time the car every time the driver turns the car on or off to ensure the best lighting conditions. These technologies offer greater efficiency in terms of durability and energy saving with twice the light intensity of conventional halogen lamps, lower emissions, and improved safety, with less eye strain and better driving comfort to boot. The theme is carried to the back of the vehicle as well, as the taillights also feature a similar design cue. The taillights f- form a sine curve that fully wraps around the rear of the vehicle, creating a very unique and distinctive lighting feature. Finally! Finally! Finally, a crossover slash SUV that doesn't just have a single element, a single element rear light, or a rear light element that's made up of a horizontal line made in paint.net. You know that heartbeat DRL that's on the new Kia K5, the new Optima? It reminds me of that, just it's not a heartbeat, but it reminds me of that. So if you remember the Tonal Concept and the headlights on that, where again, it was that horizontally, that rotated three so that the the straight part of the three, like on the back sides on the bottom, the same thing has been achieved on the back side and gives it man a really really distinctive DRL. That's that's like it's just as distinctive as the racetrack DRL, or the racetrack light signature that we see on the back of Dodges. This light signature, brilliant. And if you ask me, extremely Alfa Romeo. I don't mind that they copied the front largely and then put it on the back as well. I really don't because I think it looks brilliant and they've done a really good job. Incorporating that design on the back and executing it on the back, though slightly differently, but yeah, the front, the front headlight once again, it's basically, it's basically that pod design that we saw on the one five nine, just without the pods. It's one massive, it's one massive headlight unit, where the where the DRL that rotated three imitates imitates pays homage, if you will, to that pod design we saw on the one five nine. So so it's not an actual. It's not an actual, like, imagine a Sun Pro TAC, but a headlight. That's what was on the 159, basically. That's not the case here. This is a very traditional headlight design, headlight unit, where it's one massive thing made to look like it's separated by way of the DRL, by way of the DRL design. Again, looks brilliant. Really, really like that. Can't wait to see what the turn signal, turn signal signature looks like. Going back to the rear of the car, though, even the all encompassing rear window pays tribute to the 8C Competizione. You know what? I can kind of see it actually. With a sensual yet dynamic design. It also uses the 8C Competizione influence in its wheel design. It's got that clover leaf design that we saw, or I say clover leaf, but that leaf like design that we see on the Julia Quadrifoglio and the 4C. Same design. To reproduce the Alfa Romeo style canon of a telephone dial. Yeah, see. Inspired by Alfa Romeo race cars of the past, the interior is driver-focused with easy access to all controls for a safe, unparalleled driving experience. There is a number of of technology features ensuring that all of the vehicle's occupants are connected and provided a comfortable and sporty uh, experience. So we're going to stop here because pretty much everything else has already been covered, at least as far as I'm aware. So let's talk about the looks more so than I already have. So once again, we've already talked about the headlights and the taillights. So we're going to skip over that. Let's talk about how they're integrated into the front and rear fascias. So very tonal looking front end, like the concept, just production eyes. So it's sort of like the difference between the the 1989 Viper RT-10 concept and then the 1992. Very much concept inspired, almost looks exactly like it, just with a few things changed to fit, to fit production standards and requirements and safety standards and whatnot. And so what that means is that it pretty much looks like the production, uh, the uh, concept car. It looks like the concept car just with a few production production changes here and there. And that is ultimately to say it looks brilliant. I like the face a lot. I love the Tonal Concepts face in 2019. and I was really hoping they'd manage to bring that DRL signature from the concept to production. And they have... I don't think they've done it quite as luxuriously as they did in the concept. But then again, that very rarely happens anyway. So... That is what it I mean. Look at the 1989 Viper concept. That has a very Bugatti Chiron style. You know, it did the Chiron thing before the Chiron, where it has those those quad squared off headlights in the in the headlight design itself, in the unit itself. And then in the the production car, it wasn't like that. This car gets way closer to it, though. It gets way closer to the concept in that regard. So that's quite nice. I like the grill mesh that they chose. And that's a it's a very small thing, but all that stuff makes a difference. I do kind of like it. I wish in the in the shield they maybe changed it to one that allows for a little more airflow, but that's that's a minor nitpick. What's interesting about the headlights though is that they're they they do not go the full width of the of the horizontal orientation on the front front end. So the thing about the Tonal is that it's kinda got this unibrow look where it's got this straight this horizontal bar that that outlines both the top of the headlights and then most most of the hood. The front, I guess the front end of the hood, where like the latch would be, horizontal bar that goes all the way and wraps around the headlights as well. And then the bottom of the headlights too. So you got this mass, I said it's massive, but this very distinct, noticeable horizontal element that wraps around the headlight. And then the bottom slash top, depending on your perspective of the hood. But what's, what's interesting about that is that the head, the headlights don't go the width of that bar. Like the headlights don't, the surface of the headlight doesn't go all the way to the shield there's actually an intake there i think for added cooling what would it what would it be like what's a car i could liken it to i'm kind of drawing a blank right now but yeah now i'm actually glad that they didn't make the headlights wide wide as hell because that might have looked a bit like a cyclops it would have been a bit weird so i'm glad that they decided no we're just going to go for extra cooling here so i like that design quite a lot i like the horizontal orientation of the upper upper half of the front fascia but even the lower half of the front fascia is pretty horizontally oriented save for the shield where you have a very alpha looking you have a very stelvio looking lower front grille and then you have vertically oriented vents kind of gen 5 viper-esque but not as not as aggressive because on the gen 5 it's like an increasing radius vent because it gets wider at the bottom than it is at the top that's not the case here with the tonal it's a very consistent radius wrapping around the wrapping around the lower grille. one thing that i i think i love about the car the most or about the fascia at least is that, it, is that it does look like the car is looking at you it genuinely looks like it's staring back through multiple eyes mind you but yeah and that's more that's honestly more than i can say for a few car for quite a few cars these days now that i think about it but yeah so the face i'm going to give a 7.7 7 out of 10 i like it a lot I don't think it's the best looking. There's maybe one or two other other designs that I like more. But yeah, and you know, also it's a crossover. On a sedan, like a Fiat Tipo size sedan, eight out of 10, nine out of 10. Lovely. A 159 size sedan or the Julia, Yeah, I'd I'd give it very high praise. But yeah, so 7.7 out of 10, I think is pretty, I'm pretty comfortable in saying really, really handsome looking SUV. If we go to the back... Now if we look at the car from the back itself and not a skewed angle like a three-quarter rear angle or anything like that, extremely good looking. Extremely good looking, especially because you have that rotated three light signature once again here. But it but it actually continues on the innermost on the innermost part of the signature and then you have and this is where it, it reminds me the most of Kia's heartbeat signature is that the light signature continues all the way to the middle of the the alfa romeo badge so it's like the lights are either going into or going towards the alfa romeo badge or coming out from it so it's like the badge is the lifeblood of the tail it's a really cool design i really like it very very cool i like the tonal badge i like the i like the rear window design especially how hc competizione-esque it is i don't think it's a perfect i don't think it's a perfect match but it is what it is but i do like the rear design head-on like face on now from an angle uh, i start to like it a little bit less because alpha like most cuv makers or automakers frankly that have a CUV, have fallen into the trap of trying to make it sporty so that rear window is extremely raked, and then the base of the tailgate just above the base of the tailgate surface just above the just above the taillights it's a little awkward to me it's very aston martin dbx like it's very similar to that and I don't really like it on that car either so because to me it just it just encroaches on practicality because now you have the rear window and some of the tailgate itself encroaching on the cargo area and if we go to a side profile shot if I can find one here I know they have one I saw one okay here we go it oh I honestly would have preferred it if they made the roof line a little bit longer so that the rear window wasn't as raked. Because to me, it almost looks, it almost looks deformed at the back. It's too, it's too aggressive with its rake. It just looks a little bit deformed. So I wish it had a more traditional crossover slash SUV roof line where the rear window wasn't. I'm not saying it has to be perfectly vertical. It doesn't, but more vertical than it is because it just looks, it looks like they took a chunk out of the rear, out of the, out of the roof line by accident, and then went with it. It's just really strange to me. I don't really like it. The C-pillar is very pinched between where the rear window is, and then where where the rear quarter window is for the rear passenger doors. It's too pinched. And then you, and then on top of that, with the integrated rear spoiler, it's, yeah, it's kind of, it looks like the design is kind of fighting to me. It's, Kind of all over the place. Like they wanted to do a more normal crossover roof design, but then wanted it to be a bit sporty. It's just it's a bit too pinched. It's too pinched where that rear quarter window is and then where the rear spoiler is. Yeah. If they could have let the C pillar breathe a little bit more, make the rear window a little bit more vertical as a result, because they'd have to, and give it a more traditional crossover roof line, I think it'd be one of the best looking crossovers made to date. For sure. For sure. So far. So the rear, the rear, when looking at it straight on, I'm going to give it a 7.3, 7.4. Not as good as the front end, but still really good. When you're looking at it from an angle, like the front from an angle is beautiful. Maybe there's a little bit too much hood kind of gives it a, I don't know, like an, like an elongated forehead kind of a look, but it's very focused. It's very focused and to its credit it's not like they tried to stretch the face of the car to fit the height of a crossover so i do like that but it's got it's kind of got the inverse problem where it's like they try to graft a sedan face onto a crossover so if it was a little bit more upright if they made the face a little bit taller i'd prefer that but i'm still going to say 7.7 for the face but the rear yeah even even at this angle i'm still going to say 7.7 for the face i do still like it but for the rear at an angle it starts to get a little bit wonky yeah, it starts to get a little bit wonky, so 7.3. It does look good, it's just off and then from the side, the silhouette. The front is okay. Again, the face could be a little bit taller, the side is the side up to the front driver and passenger door is fine. Once you get to the rear driver and passenger door though, and then the rear itself, I'm going to give it 6.8 out of 10, of course. I'm going to say 6.8. It's a little awkward looking to me. It needs a more traditional roofline. I would prefer a more traditional roofline. That would make it a bit better for me personally. But otherwise, yeah. I think overall, I would give it a 7.5 out of 10 for design. It is still a beautiful looking and distinctive crossover. You're not going to mistake the tone off or anything else on the road. And that is a high compliment. That really is. The interior is standard out for a male. Though, it seems like it has a few better materials here and there. And then the massive supercar like paddle uh, flappy paddle or flappy paddles really i like that a lot that gives the car that gives the interior a a significantly sporty feel about it a significantly sporty air about it so i like that quite a lot including the small airbag cover and then the thumb rest if you will on the steering wheel on in the steering wheel design itself it's a very sporty looking steering wheel and honestly a pretty sporty looking interior and i think that that's exactly in line with where Afromeo needs to be because Afromeo is the Italian Porsche is the Italian BMW so this is where they this is their strong suit I I would say this is absolutely Romeo's strong suit and so they're playing they're playing it up they're playing to their strengths and that is a very good thing and if if we couldn't tell that already by the massive Giulia Quadrifoglio like aluminum flappy paddles yeah those are quite nice those are a quality touch I like the seats too. The only thing I'm kind of unsure about is the rear headrests, And this is obviously nitpicking much like half the other things I've been saying. But they kind of, they remind me of a Fiat 500. They're very round. They're almost cutesy. They're not, they're not round. They're kind of a rhomboid shape, but they remind me, even the seats themselves make me think a little bit of a Fiat 500 and the new 500. And the new 500 does look good. It's just that it's, to me, it's slightly too cutesy. It's, a, it's not mature enough. It might not be mature enough, but then again, I'll have to see it in the flesh and see what I think. I do like the patterning, though, even though the pattering does make me, does, the patterning does make me, it does aid in my belief that it's very fiat-esque. The patterning does not help my belief that it's very fiat-esque, though I do like the pattering. It is still cool. It's just, it might not be alpha. It might not be alpha or male to me, but again, I'll have to see it in the flesh to really make a decision. I like the green press car or the green color that they have on a different press car in these press photos as well. It's kind of a, it's a very alpha male t- uh, type green. Imagine emerald green on the Viper and then upped in brightness quite a bit. It's kind of like that. It's a, it's honestly a really mature, a really mature, almost forest green. Beautiful, It's a beautiful green color, deep, deep and rich, but without being muted. Kind of metallic as well. I really like it. If, I, if their blue wasn't so brilliant on this car, I'd probably go for the green next. It's really, really good. Really, really good. Yeah, I think, I honestly wonder if on the C pillar, the, the last the last pillar that's before the rear window, I wonder if they made the roofline a little bit more aggressive on the production car than they did on the concept. I'd have to check that, but moving away from that, one thing I forgot about, that one thought I forgot about that I had when the car came out two days ago Well, something I realized that on the production car, they have this little mini pillar, like this quarter pillar to help guide the window, the electric windows when they roll up. On the concept, they have that weight. A, they don't have that at all. B, they have that way further up. So on the production car, the quarter window is significantly bigger than it is on the concept. And I think on the concept, as much as I hate fake quarter windows, like on the the last gen Toyota Camry post-facelift. Because it's like, well, what's the point? I get trying to draw out the greenhouse visually a little bit. But the functionality side of me, the German side of me, is like, well, what's the point of that? Like, if it's not functional, what's the point? And so as much as I would have hated that, even on the production tonal, I kind of like it more on the concept. Because to me, it's a slightly cleaner design. Yeah, it's a slightly cleaner design. Whereas the quarter window on the production tonal looks a little awkward. It looks a tad awkward here. So if they could have made if they could have made the roll-down window that little bit bigger by moving, by moving the little mini pillar that helps guide the window up a little bit further back, I would have appreciated that. I think that would have been preferred. Yeah, that would have been that would probably be the only actually it wouldn't be the only change I'd make, but it it's definitely one of the subtle changes, one of the most subtle changes I would have made to the Tone All. But yeah, honestly, it is pretty close. To the concept car not quite as handsome but it's about 80 percent of the way there especially for a production car so i'm not i'm not complaining yeah so overall as a car i'd probably give it a 6.5 no no no. sorry 7.5 7.5 or 7.6 out of 10. really good design love the interior and it seems to have a lot of problems especially with the fed power trades but in any case, what do you guys think of the new Tunnel? Do you like it? Do you hate it? Or are you somewhere in between? Let me know in the comments below. In the meantime, I hope you enjoyed. Please make sure to like the episode, share the episode, and follow the podcast. If you watch on YouTube, Please like, comment, share, and consider subscribing. And if you do subscribe, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. Please make sure to hit the little notification bell. And then all notifications that we're notified every time I upload. If you want to listen to this podcast on the road, but you don't have or want the be mobile app, hey, not a problem. Boot up wherever you get your podcast, Type in Cody's Car Conundrum, and then choose the episode you want to listen to. I will see you all next time. While we take this short and elevator musicless break, sorry. I would like to inform you all that there is more CCC content for you to enjoy. For articles, videos, polls, quizzes, posts about the podcast, and even a little bit more, please head on over to my all-new Cody's Car Conundrum website. With a whole new design and all my content in one place, the new Cody's Car Conundrum website is the home of everything I do with CCC. Just go to codyscarconundrum.com to devour even more car-based content. You've just listened to me probably ramble about some cars if I'm being honest.